Hi there, and welcome to the Creative Operations Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Groom, and in this podcast, we'll be talking with creative operations leaders in all kinds of industries, from franchising to finance, from healthcare to hospitality and beyond. We'll be looking to uncover best practices and to see trends that are coming to help you keep your creative operations on brand and on budget at the same time. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Creative Operations Podcast 2.0. I'm your host, Kevin Groom, and I'm really excited because today we're going to be speaking with Adam Bartimo. He's the Technology Senior Director at Ray Ward. Now, as you guys know, most of the time on the Creative Operations Podcast, we've taken an in-house agency perspective. But every once in a while, we get a chance to talk with more of an AOR-like perspective. And I think that balancing the two is a great way to look at how our all these different trends in creative operations really coming together from both a strategy, creative production, operations point of view. So Adam, welcome. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Thanks, Kevin. Nice to see you. Absolutely. So here's what we like to do, especially I think it'll be fascinating. Just full disclosure, guys, Adam and I go a little ways back and we've spent some time together working on projects at Pike and Nine or using Pike and Nine technology. But Adam, give us a little background on how you got into this creative operations aspect, and particularly with a focus on the technology stack that undergirds it. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I started in the advertising space at a small agency in Short Hills, New Jersey. I was a contract, a consultant for them to build new business. And I was working remote, but once a month I'd have to drive from Queens through Manhattan to New Jersey. And I would always say, this is where the big business is. This is where the big agencies are. (laughs) At the end of my contract, I decided not to renew and go and work in Manhattan for them. But one thing I learned about the new business space is that you had to be very flexible. We had to ebb and flow to what the clients or prospects wanted, right? And it was never always about what I had to offer or what we had to offer. It was always about what they needed and how did we fit into their space. After that consulting gig, I went and worked as an account executive at a small Swiss agency in Soho. Our specialty was in design and bringing clients that were small businesses overseas, Switzerland to be exact, some in some Japan, some Chinese clients, some Italy, Italian clients as well. But they wanted to get into the American market, New York especially. So that, again, uh, allowed us to be flexible and be ebb and flow to their needs. How do you rebrand a brand that has an established clientele in Italy to, in, to New Yorkers? After that, I went into a large agency. Dentsu was the agency I went into. I understood it as it being early on in... Uh, the Dentsu growth, which is very large right now. And I was a senior account executive there, but I was always leaning towards ideas that can happen in the digital space. And I would always find myself being more of a project manager, producer for the digital work. And at one point I felt like I, I had been given the hat as the expert in the digital space. And I was still young in my career. And because of that feeling, which was great, but I also quickly humbly realized I am not an expert in that space. There's, there's got to be others I can learn from. So I left Dentsu and went to RGA. I was at RGA for about five years. Um, I contribute a lot of my growth and who I am today to working there. 
And I was put around very smart people. I always believed I was not the smartest person in the room, which was good when you have a learning attitude. And we did a lot of cool things. But it's where I realized that I, my, what I bring to the table is the how something gets done to someone's what do they want to get done. After that, I went to Sapien Nitro. Uh, when I went to Sapien, I was on client uh, work, but I was also um, introduced to setting up their operational systems, their uh, project management systems, their cloud-based storage systems. And the operation side was interesting because there was, you have end users that are clients and they know their business. You take that internally, it gets a little bit muddy sometimes, right? Because we know our business, but we're focused on our client's business. So sometimes having people focus on operations and doing the same thing to yourselves as an agency is sometimes a little harder because it's always... What do the clients need? Clients work comes first. So I got to know the marketing technologies and automations that are available to us out there, which is really cool. I have been brought into Ray Ward as a consultant to help with their operations of their delivery team. After a three month consulting gig with Ray Ward, I presented what I thought they needed to do. And they were like, we agree. And we want you to come on and own that and do that for us. I spent the first two years uh, running what we called the delivery team at the time. It's the project and management and resource management team now. In that first two years, we built a new office and that brought me further into the operations side because we needed to set up the technologies, integrations, automations, all that need to happen. I also brought in a new project management system, which is Workfront. And so I was brought into the operations side pretty organically. So I oversee all the operational technology, safety, what systems come into play, setting the strategy up, making sure they work, uh, managing training for new employees, existing employees. It's pretty cool. It has its good days. And of course it has its bad days, but the benefit is that you get an immediate satisfaction because you're working with the people that are on the tools. So mm. that's what's really gratifying about this role. Congratulations on it. It feels to me like it's a culmination of a lot of different themes, small yeah. agency, big agency, operations, creative, all of these things seem to be coming together for you. And I'd love to dive into it because your experience in setting up operations and, and doing so with a new office and a new project management system, it feels to me like you got down to the bare metal and yeah. built it up as a tech stack. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's great. So I think that'll be really valuable to folks. Before we dive into it, though, tell us a little bit about Ray Ward. As I understand the agency's kind of focus, they work lots with a lot of different multi-location brands, which can put a unique kind of pressure on the operations of an agency. Is that the case? That is the case. So our specialty and the majority of our clients are in the home and building industry. It's interesting. Multi-location is a little bit defined differently. We're not always brick and mortar. Multi-location could be on-site in a location where the product that our client sells and produces is being used on a, a subdivision being created in Kentucky. It could be used in just marketing to installers or architects, developers. So where sometimes our multi-location is could be more virtual than it is physical. When you think about the, the shape of your MarTech stack, and you really, as I was saying, had an opportunity to look at from the bare metal on up, where did you begin? If we use the project management system as an example, my experience helped me learn this. We've in, I've installed a project management system across uh, four times across three agencies. 
The first agency we installed it, we went to them when we first got the product or the instance set up for us. And we said, tell us how to use it. And three months later, nobody was using it. Poor adoption. It was really bad. A year later came around, we were still paying for it. It was had low adoption. We reevaluated the use of it and where we went wrong. And we realized that we needed to tell them how we want to use it. It was our system to support us, not a system that tells us how to do things. So what we did year two of that first agency was we wrote our use cases out and we said, here's how, show us how to do this in your system. The second agency, we started our first three meetings with the onboarding consultant at the software company. And we said the same thing, show us how to use it. And at the end of the third meeting, because of the experience I had gone through with the previous agency, I said, hold on, we have to stop this and write out our process, our use cases. So that way we can go back to them and show us how to use this. Here at Reward, because of that experience, we started with the end user. We had meetings with each department. Um, we asked each department lead to provide us at least three or four representatives that we can interview with. And we did basically stakeholder interviews. We said, what do you want to start doing, stop doing, and continue doing? We created use cases and came back to them. We said, does this make sense? And then based on that, we use that as an onboarding tool for us to say, show us how to do this. I always say it's like teaching someone how to swim. You wouldn't put them in the ocean and say, okay, good luck. You put them in a small pool and you have them swim laps and have them get out of the pool happy and ready to get back in it. So it's the same methodology I feel with software, tech stacks, tools that we employ at the agencies. What we see a lot in in-house environments where you've got an in-house agency that might not have nearly as many different creative operation arms as an agency that's dedicated to multiple clients would have. But nonetheless, they face the need of identifying use cases and then assessing and installing software based on those use cases, yeah. as opposed to what often happens in the software world, where you get sold a big, bold, generic promise, and then you're left yeah. at the starting line, not quite sure how to realize value. And I think the second point I just wanted to, to underline was the symptom of an unclear set of use cases at the beginning is almost immediately low user adoption. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like you can see it one for one. So that's great. I think that leads very well into the strategy that we have in place that I've fostered and continue to drive. It's I have this belief that each department or discipline has their own needs, right? Where use cases is what we're talking about. So what that means is that we need to be flexible in what tools they use. So we have a creative discipline. We have a project management discipline are two very clear, understandable disciplines that even people outside of the creative agency world understand. In the PM world, their tool and their home base tool, if you would, is Workfront. It's their yep. project management resource management tool. In the creative space, it's Adobe Creative Cloud, among others, right? But let's use Creative Cloud as their home base for this example. Our strategy is that they have their own tools that meet their needs and allows them to do their jobs and supports what they do. That's a very important thing. You have to underline it. it has to support your process, not the other way around. And so because of that and them having two tools, the piece that I've also put an emphasis on is integration. So we have people working, our creative designer working in Creative Cloud, Adobe, Photoshop, or Illustrator, 
but they need to send and communicate to the PMs that live and work from. And there are integrations that we've adopted as well as created that allows them to submit their work, send communication, and the dreadful timesheet could even be done all within the Adobe Creative Cloud Suite. They never have to leave their tool, but the PMs are seeing everything and getting everything and receiving and communicating and all that stuff back within their tool. So this allows for efficiency because as we all know, having to learn multiple systems to get one thing done is not, it's not the right thing, but understanding where it's coming from and where the other teams are. So integration is one of our first steps in our strategy. The second step in our strategy is automation. So we have a middleware that we work with that creates an automation. We have a, a new hire automation flow that we use. And that starts in our HRM system. And it's done by filling out a form. That form is communicated to Workfront, to Google, as well as communications via email. Um, and the analogy I use for that is the light switch. Like we used to walk in a room and have to turn it on, right? You can still have to do that in a lot of rooms, but now there's a switch that turns it on for you when you go into it and it's set to a timer to shut off. And so that's where that automation, that's where that middleware comes into play. Understanding the end user is important and being flexible to say, hey, we have one system and it should handle all your needs can get you into more trouble than not. For example, our studio team uses a separate tool to manage their, their production, video or audio or even photography work. Could Workfront do it? Yes, but they don't need all the details. They need a simpler system. So they have their own system that does it for them. We are in the midst of building out the integrations between that system. So that way, when they say I'm done in their system, the PM sees the same communication within their system. Got it. So I would take it then that by letting the departments choose their tools, and then spending the time and effort on plugging those various tools together, you end up maybe with more tools from your perspective, yeah. but from a user's perspective, actually they see a much simpler landscape. Yeah. And yeah. you probably, I would also think in this world of SaaS and subscription models, you also end up with lower user counts on each one of the individual tools yeah. and higher adoption rates when you look at active users versus registered, which yeah. is a really smart thing. And again, I think if you're well-versed in technology architecture, as clearly you are, that, that probably sounds like an obvious thing to do to an expert, but to folks who are doing this for the first time, and maybe we'll never do it again, yeah. the notion that you could find an all-in-one, a tool that will do it all for everybody mm -hmm. is an appealing thought because it feels it, like a one and done, but the does. risk you run is that low user adoption and that yeah. kind of Frankenstein effect yeah. of a tool. Yeah. yeah. And then what happens is that the individuals start to make up their own tools and their yeah. own ways of doing it. I, I say this over and over, probably on a daily basis here. I can't emphasize uh, more about if you pick a system, if you have a tool, it has to support your process. It cannot be a tool, in my opinion, that tells you how to do things. Now, it's not like you get a set of wrenches and you throw it in your toolbox and never go back and say, are these still working? You always are assessing what your tech stack looks like and where you can find efficiencies. Good example, just the other day in one of our operations meeting, I was saying maybe what we do is revisit one of our other teams, our client engagement team, revisit mm -hmm. their tool set because 
I had some conversations with a handful of them and I noticed that they're all using slightly different tools. And mm. I said, maybe we revisit it and see what we do and focus on training for those tools they're using. And that's where change management comes in, right? Most There's that sink and swim approach that a lot of companies and individuals, I'm a father of three. My favorite thing at night is do your chores thinking that they're going to do it, right? <laughs> you have to, adoption and change management are just two ways of saying the same thing, right? Sure. So change management is you introduce, you inform, you train, and you follow up. And that cycle just repeats and repeats. And in that repeating of cycle, you're being informed. And then you're following up on is this tool's evolution going in the direction you want? Or have we plateaued at this in this tool? Is there something else we can do? I think th that change management is an important piece. That's that strategy. That's the approach, the objective, right? And it builds efficiencies when you do that, when you do that as well. This is really great stuff, Adam. Let me ask you a question about your user community, because being in the creative world and, and the project management creative strategy, but I think of all of those things, I think of folks who end up in, especially in, in external agencies, I think they self-conceive as creatives, as outside the box thinkers. So given that's in your user community, how does that affect their willingness to accept tools that are brought to them, their eagerness to experiment with and bring their own kind of technologies into this? And how does it characterize them as users of systems? Are they inventive? Are they a little bit outside the lines? How does that work for you guys? Yeah. So I, a good friend of mine I work with here, he, we do lunch every once in a while, really smart guy. We had lunch a couple months ago and he showed me what he was presenting. And he said, this is something I should take myself, I should take into how I present ideas. And I really loved it and it made it so simple and it made sense to me right away. I started to learn to show what they have and show what it could be. And then that way it becomes a clear understanding. Here are the steps you take to send version one of this design. And it's seven steps. Here's how you could do it in two. And so we just show them that so that that analogy of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, right? So not everybody is going to be on board that first time around. And so that's where change management, that cycle of change management is always coming back and get, getting the next person, getting the next group, making sure they're following up. And I, I've always been a believer in sometimes you have to allow people, and I'm going to use a very harsh word here, fail before they understand or see a process is better for them or where they can improve their process. We rolled out and adopted the integration with Adobe Creative Cloud and Workfront probably about two and a half years ago. And it was no, nobody used it. Nobody, it was low adoption. So what I started doing in my walk arounds in the office throughout the day, I would stop and talk to my friends that are in the creative team and be like, Hey, are you using the plugin yet? I would experience them trying to send it over in an attachment as an email, which I don't get me started on attachments, but <laughs> they, but they, I would say, Hey, watch, open the app. Let me show you how easy this is. And I would show them how to do it. That's that change management. So you have to have one patience. You got to be humble about it because everybody goes through it, but that allows you to sit down and take an eye to eye level with them and say, Hey, let me show you this because you're in the midst of it, or you just finished it. Or look, if you just click twice here, it's done versus the seven steps you're taking over here. 
That's excellent. I'm going to, we could talk and I hope you will come back and we'll continue this conversation because I want to talk about vendor management. There's a whole bunch of things that I'd love to dive into with you, but real quick, I want to summarize just for the folks at home. Guys, when you're building a complex MarTech stack with a creative user community out there, here's a couple of things that Adam has told us. Number one, let your process govern the software, not the other way around. Define your use cases and evaluate and install your software based on those use cases and those personas. Yep. Number two, really think hard about integrations around existing tools that fit for individual departments or teams. So yep. try to hang on to what works and plug those things together. The example that we used was Workfront plugging in a project management tool, plugging into Adobe Creative Cloud, really a set of creative tools. The third point, change management never ends and the process right. of designing your martech stack never ends either and i love this vision that i got of adam really doing change management by walking around yeah so really showing people how to use the tools returning back to those use cases those concrete use cases from which the whole vision arose in the first place and then building that user adoption sometimes one cubicle one office one adopter at a time that's right. And then the last thing, and I love this one because it's all about the intangibles. Have patience with the process. Be humble in mm -hmm. the tools that you've selected because every time you go out to manage change, you're not just teaching, you're learning. Yep. That's a heck of a lot for us to have learned in just a scant 30 minutes. So Adam, <laughs> thank you for taking the time with us. Like I said, I'm going to make good on my thread to bring you back because I oh, thanks, really Kevin. do want to talk about what kind of team do you have to array around yourself That's to right. make that kind of ongoing change management process yeah. really work. So we'll yeah. come back to it. Guys, stay tuned. We'll see you on the next edition episode of the Creative Operations Podcast 2.0. Thank thanks, Kevin.